0: Today's
1: show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at tryexpressvpn.com space. That's tryexpressvpn.com space for three months free with a one-year package. Visit tryexpressvpn.com space to learn more. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal sequence
0: start. Space Nuts. Five four, three,
1: two. One, two, three, four, five, 5, 4, 3, 2. 1, Space Nuts. Astronauts report
0: it feels good.
1: Hello again. Thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. We like to call it Space Nuts because all the good stuff was taken. Uh, It is episode 90. Uh, I'm Andrew Dunkley and with me of course is uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. Observatory. Fred, hello and can you believe we're up to episode 90? Uh, I don't know why, Andrew, but that makes me feel very, very old indeed. (laughs) Well, if Um, if you add it all up, it means we've wasted 45 hours of our lives. Oh, that's even worse. It's
2: 45 hours. We're never going to get back. We'll never get it back. It's all gone. It's so, all gone. Uh, but but you, it does beg the question that we really should start thinking about what we're going
1: to do for episode 100. Yes, we should. Um, we could miss it out altogether, I suppose. We might be able to research topics that are, you know, have the number 100 associated with them. We could do that. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, that would be the clever thing to do, but... Mm. When we ever done anything? Or, you know, we could do a flashback. What was happening in space 100 years ago? Yeah. I mean, we weren't doing anything, but something was happening out there. Or we could just do a whole program dedicated to listener questions. They all sound
2: like good alternatives. Yeah, Um, we'll figure
1: that out. We've got got 10 weeks to figure that out. 10 weeks to work it out. (laughs) Indeed. Now, today, Fred, we're going to look at a tumbling cigar in space. We've actually spoken about this object before, but now they've discovered something else is going on with it. Uh, Some fake news, fake news involving the Trump government. Uh, So all Americans, block your ears. And artificial gravity. We have a question about whether or not that is something that is being developed for space stations and i guess interstellar travel or even not even interstellar travel but we'll talk about that uh but first fred uh, the tumbling cigar this is the Oumuamua uh, asteroid that we talked about uh, not so long ago that's shaped like um oh let's say oh gosh what would what would it be shaped like fred i'm thinking robert plant's song big log comes along <laughs> Um, well,
2: look, I'll, I'll steer you in a completely di- different direction. I think it is the, the French loaf of space. The French loaf. It's not quite the same colour, that's the only thing. The <laughs> ballistic baguette. <laughs> the ballistic baguette, that's the one. Yes. Absolutely. What a name. Yeah, I like that. You should be in broadcasting, you know. I,
1: I, I, I'm going to try it one day. <laughs> I am. <laughs> so what's happening with uh, Mua, the, um, the very elongated, uh, strangely shaped asteroid that is also a um, uh, you know it's it's come from another part of the u- universe it's not one of ours that that's correct
2: so it's um it, it is uh the first uh interstellar asteroid that we have seen passing through the solar system it whizzed through um in in october last year uh, zoomed past the, the the Earth. We didn't see it. It zoomed past the Sun. Uh, actually, it zoomed past the Sun first, then the Earth. And then we caught it as it was receding from from our neck of the woods in terms of, you know, our place in the solar system. But it's hurtling by at a speed that means that it can only have come from outside. Um, and so it has come from a distant uh, solar system. We don't know which one. Uh, we, you know, the the... the problem is you don't really know how long it's been traveling for <clears throat> but the suggestion because it has got this brownish reddish color to it um, that suggests that it has been in space for a very long time upwards of a million years at least uh, because of the effect of cosmic rays on surfaces we know what they do um, but what we also knew when uh, Oumuamua went by is that it is it, it is tumbling um, I can't remember, actually. I should have checked the details, but um, I wrote an article about this and that has now gone completely out of my brain. Uh, it, that's it's why tumbling. you write things down, Fred, so you don't have to remember don't, them. don't remember them, that's right. <laughs> but if I had a bit of foresight, I would have had a look at it before I started talking to you. <laughs> um, if I remember rightly, it's, its rotation, its tumbling period is is on the order of, it's a few hours. Um, that, you
1: know, that's, that's the, the rate at which it's tumbling. That's, but, fair, uh, that's fairly slow in the scheme of things, isn't it?
2: It, it is. Uh, that's right. Yes, if it was minutes, uh, you, you'd be worried because this thing's a couple of hundred metres long. Uh, it's long and thin. It's probably 40 metres or so wide, uh, but a couple of hundred metres long and tumbling around, uh, as, as I mentioned. Um, the 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 really interesting bit, and this is where the new research has come, Uh, has uh, been brought in, is about the nature of that tumble. Uh, So um, it's actually a a research group led by Dr. Wes Fraser, who's at Queen's University in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Uh, What they've done is they've carefully analysed what we call the light curve and what that means is the, the way that the light reflected from the sun, because that's how we saw it, when it went past the sun, it was reflecting sunlight, the way that light changes in intensity. Uh, so you can what you can do with modern telescopes is, is um, you know, basically create a series of points at uh, which you know the brightness. <clears throat> and these are probably a matter of seconds apart. And so you get a very accurate plot of how its brightness is varying and what that plot has told uh, the 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 Queen's University group is that this is not uh, a rotation in the sense that it's simply tilting end over end it is actually uh, what is defined as a tumble we did call it a tumble but it's a tumble uh, that has chaotic movement so it is tumbling end over end but it's also spinning along Mm. its axis and it's probably sort of the axis is wobbling about as well so it's a really chaotic motion.
1: Yeah that that sounds very much like what happens when I hit a golf ball
2: very chaotic. I'm sure your golf ball feels exactly the same sense of chaos as umua Mua is, and the reason why you don't notice it in your golf ball is because your golf ball is spherical, mm. and so it's hard to tell that it's it's um, moving chaotically. If it is, I'm sure you're underestimating your golfing skills, um, Andrew. But look, if you imagine yourself um, being really bad at golf, in fact approaching the level that I always was at golf, and so that when you uh, hit the ball, you also accidentally let go of the of the club. Uh, <laughs> And that spins end over end and wiggles around. That's basically ah, what Oumuamua is doing. Right, it's the same sort of motion. Uh, and um, and that is indicative of uh, some time in Oumuamua's past. It's indicative of a collision. Um, it, it means that it has collided with another object because that's <clears throat> you know the, the most likely way. <clears throat> excuse me to create that chaotic motion. Now we don't know when that collision took place. The the overwhelming likelihood is that it took place in the solar system from which Oumuamua was ejected and it maybe was that collision that kicked it out of that solar
1: system. I was about to ask, that sounds like a feasible argument doesn't it?
2: Yeah that's right. So really a remarkable and very strange object. Um, There was some thought given after Oumuamua passed through the inner solar system of trying
1: to mount a space mission to chase after it. Yes, I was going to ask you because I did read about that and I wondered if they were still considering it.
2: Uh, look, I think it's effectively been ruled out simply because it's moving too quickly. And by the
1: yeah, time you. Look, got- there's a Tesla Roadster out there, I reckon. <laughs> we could probably catch up. Yeah,
2: unfortunately, by now, its batteries have probably run down <laughs> it's going the wrong way anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's leaving the solar system at um, something like 23, 24 kilometers per second. Uh, and to mount a, a space mission that would actually have enough oomph to overtake it and maybe, you know, do a flyby. We simply don 't have the resources to do that, however, what I think it has done it 's alerted us to the existence of these things they 've been they 've been um, postulated for for decades that we should occasionally see debris from other solar systems passing through our own solar system um, but the the fact is that it 's only now uh, with the kinds of telescopes that are uh, that are scanning the skies for uh, what we call transient objects, things that come and go. And there are a whole range of new telescopes doing that, including one huge one, the uh, thing called the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope, uh, which is an eight meter class telescope that will look at the entire sky um, something like every six nights. So, you know, anything that's moving through will be picked up. Mm. Um, so, that's the, the fact that we have these new facilities is why we are going to start seeing these things. And Oumuamua is the first. Its name means the first messenger from afar in Hawaiian. Um, So um, I think that what will happen is that uh, groups of scientists will uh, put together the idea of a space mission to chase after one of these so that they're almost ready for this thing, uh, if and when it comes, the next one that flies through the solar system, to go and get a really good look at it because this is a free sample Mm -hmm. from another solar system if you can, you know, if you can rendezvous with it and and take some images.
1: Yes, and uh, fascinating. And, and, yeah, we've learned so much already from something that was just Passing by, and uh, now we know what to look for. We, we may, uh, well, probably will definitely see see more of them. Yeah. Um, and, and look, I just did a Google uh, translate on uh, Oumuamua and it said space doogie. So I'm not sure you're right, Fred. That's <laughs>
2: okay. Mm. That's modern
1: Hawaiian. <laughs> yes, it probably is. <laughs> this is Space Nuts, uh, Dr. Fred Watson and Andrew Dunkley. Now, let's take a little break and find out more about our sponsor. Back to the show.
2: Okay, we checked all four systems and keying with a
1: go. Space nuts. Now, Fred, some fake news. It appears the US President Donald Trump wants to end funding to the International Space Station. Not now and not tomorrow and not next week, but, you know, in the foreseeable future. Um, Obviously, he's got an issue with this or he's just trying to save money for the next war. What is it?
2: Uh, well it's not fake news it's um it's absolutely true, and it's neither of the above ah. uh, so um and, and in a way um I guess we could have predicted this, knowing uh the things that are close to donald trump's heart uh, which is private enterprise mm. and so what he wants to do is uh as of twenty 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 five uh to end the US funding for the International Space Station in order to push it into the private sector, um, which is a really interesting idea. (laughs) Uh, So um, it's, uh, you know, I think he's a pragmatist, he's somebody who, um, I think, uh, values the commercial sector and what it can contribute. And, and you know we're already seeing that with NASA with the the contracts that companies like SpaceX and um, and orbital sciences have for providing launch services so um, NASA is already well on the path to that kind of commercialization but this is quite a big piece of news that um, by 2025 uh, Donald Trump would like to see um, that space station being run by commercial enterprises whether they are scientific or manufacturing, or touristic, or whatever. I, I suspect he doesn't care. I think all he wants to see is the space station effectively making money. Yes. And that's, that's a, a really, really interesting idea. So he's um, why is it in the news this week? Well, um, the 2019 budget proposal, uh, which of course has to be passed by Congress and all the rest of it, is uh, it, it contains NASA's... Uh, Budget. Their budget for 2019 is, I think, 19.6 billion US, um, which is a little bit more than it has been of late. Um, uh, It was uh, last year, I think it was 19.1 billion. Um, I have to say, uh, Andrew, just to to take a pause here,
1: that that sounds like a colossal amount of money. And it is. Oh, it's massive. It's. it's well, I think it would cover the national debt in Australia. And I'm not making jokes. It would come close. But uh, despite
2: the fact that it's a big number, um, what NASA achieves with that is absolutely staggering. Um, they do the most extraordinary things, not just in space, but in aviation as well. Uh, that budget is spread very, very thinly across their research projects. Uh, so I, um, I'm i always amazed that they achieve as much as they do with that amount. And just to add, it pales into insignificance uh, compared with the U.S. defense budget, which, I, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head, is about $650 billion a year. Wow, that's so, just staggering dollars, isn't it? That's right. So you know, it, it's this is um, the research that NASA does with their budget. I think is extraordinary. Mm. Uh, um, these are, i was going to say that 650 billion. That's my recollection from checking it out a few months ago. Uh, it might might be wrong, but it's of that order, uh, which is which is incredible. Uh, just one uh, other statistic. You know, when uh, NASA's New Horizons uh, flew by Pluto, yes, in 2015. Um, one of the comments that was made was that the that mission, uh, which from launch to its present state, and it's still going on, uh, and all the running costs and the launch costs and the cost of building the spacecraft, it was something like $700 million, the cost of it, which is enough to keep... Uh, the U.S. military running for nine hours. hours—that's oh. That was the statistic that, you know, uh, I have absolutely nothing against the U.S. military. No, no, but, yeah. Extremely valuable to our world. But it just puts things in perspective. It and does.
1: Uh, and it also sort of takes us back to that argument about people saying, well, why are we spending all this money on space exploration when we could be feeding the hungry? Yeah. Uh, well, okay, uh, why don't you just go and talk to Donald Trump about the military spending and then come back to astronomy later. I mean, there's all sorts of arguments like that. You can't just point at astronomy as, as being the big bad wolf because it's actually not spending that much money compared to some.
2: Yeah. And and actually, I mean, the bottom line with that sort of argument is it's never a straight choice. I mean, uh, our modern world seeks to invest in the future, in future knowledge and things of that sort. If it was simply a choice between exploring the universe and feeding the hungry, it'd be a no-brainer. You'd feed the hungry. But it's not like that. So just coming back to the story, um, we've got this increase in NASA's budget for next year. But um, there is uh, a part of the proposed budget... Uh, which I think amounts to something like $150 million, which is to sort of um, leverage uh, the idea of private companies eventually taking over space station operations. Mm. So they're, they're thinking, you know, I think they're thinking pretty cleverly here. They're going to invest in the idea of private enterprise investing in the, in the space station over the next seven years, the, 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 the seven years up till from 2018 to 2025.
1: And, and, and space tourism is probably a feasible option. We've already seen uh, billionaires spend quite yeah. a bit of money to spend time on the Russian space station, on Mir or whatever it was.
2: Well, uh, in or fact... Soyuz.
1: Really- no, Mir, wasn't it? Well, um, it was principally the
2: ISS, the International Space Station, from uh, in the early 2000s. I think there were something like seven or eight space tourists, some of them very well-known names. Um, They paid a, a minimum of $20 million for the privilege. One of them, I think, paid twice that. Uh, at least one of them went up twice. Because he um, had a window seat, that's why. <laughs> that's right, yeah. It was because they, the Soyuz launch vehicles had a spare seat in them. Right. And it was a company, I think they were called Space Enterprises Space, I can't remember. Uh, but they they, they were they basically brokered a deal between um, Roscosmos, the, the, the operators of the Soyuz spacecraft, and... Uh, and these very wealthy people to allow them to visit the space station. Great, a great pioneering step Mm. for space tourism. Um, Just coming back to the the present story, though, um, your your thoughts about tourism are are probably not ill-founded because we've just seen the start of... What I think is a new era in space launches with with the reusable boosters that um, uh, that spacex is is providing that is going to bring down the cost of launches um, i'm not saying that it's ever going to bring space travel down to the pockets of People like you and me, no, uh, never. $27.50 to spare, if that, um, it's, it, but it will make it a much more feasible option. And so I think it is, yeah, it's a very interesting proposal. And yeah. I think there is some thinking within the space community that maybe it's just a little bit premature, that maybe the space station is not yet ready for that um one or two people have said it makes no sense at all but uh, most people are interested in it as an idea
1: mm. well um what, what sort of lifespan have they put on the space station or is it looking are they looking at it being up there for you know an in, indistinguishable amount of time i
2: think um, so the the certainly the current funding um uh, regime takes it to 2020, yeah. uh, that was the status, and I think probably beyond 2020 to 2025, and it's that uh, 2025 window that that Donald Trump wants people to look at. It may turn out to be impractical, impossible, maybe better done in 2030 or thereabouts. But I would guess that, like many big pieces of scientific infrastructure, <clears throat> it may well end up being in the commercial, the commercial sector, the private
1: yeah. sector. Well, the very first thing they ought to do is send a cleaner up there. From the <laughs> images I've seen, it's a why not? Mess. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll probably hear more about this as it gets closer. Not fake news. Not fake news. It's not fake news. Mm. You're listening to Space Nuts. Andrew Dunkley here with Fred Watson.
0: Roger, your lives are here also. Space Nuts.
1: Now, Fred, uh, to our final topic in episode ninety. It's supposed to have reverb on it. Never mind. Uh, it's it's um, a question that comes from uh, Darrell Harper of Forest Lake. Uh, hi, Darrell. Uh, he says, uh, Hey, are scientists working on a gravity device for places like the space station? But you could also translate the question to um, you know, long-haul travel in space, like going to Mars, for example. Uh, we've seen artificial gravity portrayed in a multitude of science fiction shows, those big spaceships that have the, the big hoop-like structure that rotates creating artificial gravity. Uh, it was well portrayed in um, uh, the likes of Mission to Mars and Red Planet and uh, more recently in The Martian. It, was, it seems to be Martian or Mars stories that, that, that portray these things, but uh, that's the sort of technology I guess he's talking about. Is it on the drawing board? Um, I think it is, Andrew. Um, I, just going back to the movies, I
2: think the, um, the portrayal was perhaps most... Um, most cogently done in that classic of all time two thousand and one of Space Odyssey, yes, uh, because the spacecraft uh, in that certainly had um, artificial gravity, so um, okay, the only way we know to create gravity is either to have something very big like a planet, um, and that 's clearly impossible, or to use um, accelerations, so um, you could you know if you 've got a spacecraft that's constantly accelerating, uh, then that is going to provide a gravitational pull. And actually, um, there was a proposal, just thinking about this, uh, a few years ago um, it was it was made by richard gott who is a he's a, a a relativity specialist a gravitational specialist and he wrote a book about time travel within einstein's theory of relativity and one of the ways that you can travel through time is by speeding yourself up Going a long way, coming back again, and you've not aged very much, but everybody back home has
1: aged ten years oh, or twenty yeah, years. There's, or there's years. a name for that. Um, it's called the,
2: the well. It's the twins paradox.
1: The twins paradox, yes. Yeah. And and I I, I was uh, actually um, um, I learned a little bit about that uh, through our through our sponsor, the Great Courses Plus, because. They talk about that in, uh, in one of those, um, those lectures and they were saying that uh, if you have twins on the ground, they're four years old, one of them goes into space and travels at 99% the speed of light for four years. He comes back eight years old, but his brother's 104. Yeah, that's right. That's astounding to me.
2: It's bizarre, but, but we know it works because we've seen it happen in the subatomic world. Um, but so, so, you know, one of the suggestions... For this kind of uh, tomfoolery, if I can call it that, uh, time uh, time travel through space um, was that you you have a rocket you send people off in a rocket, which is always accelerating at nine, you know, 9.8 meters per second per second, which is the same acceleration that gravity produces. Mm. So if you've got a rocket that's doing that for you know constantly. Uh, yeah, you would you would be able to stand up on the bottom of the rocket because the gravitational pull would feel exactly as it does here on earth that however, is a fairly impractical method because it uses huge amounts of fuel to sustain that kind of acceleration yep. and so the way that um, most people think of is exactly as you 've said rotating uh, structures
1: well uh, if I, if I can just from a from a, a layman 's point of view from where I sit. That does not seem to be a difficult prospect. It doesn't seem to me that creating something in space that will rotate and create artificial gravity would be a very difficult thing to achieve, or am I wrong?
2: Um, I think it has to be done
1: extremely carefully
2: uh, because I think there are there are nuances in the in the idea. Uh, I did read up on this some time ago <laughs> once again i can 't remember what I read <laughs> but um the the um, Look, the simplest way to do it would be two space capsules tethered together and rotating about their common centre of mass. Yeah. So you've got to set up that rotation in a way that it doesn't turn into a chaotic tumble like the one that uh, um- Muamua is, is carrying out, mm-hmm. um, and it, it has to be done uh, with extreme care. But I have seen uh, proposals. From the likes of SpaceX, that maybe for a Mars mission, uh, in you know in 20 years or so, something like that, uh, it might be a consideration to put people in artificial gravity because we know that weightlessness is damaging to uh, to our physical health, to yes. our structure. So um, it's a possibility that that will happen. But the bigger structures, you know, the things like the, the space station in 2001, the Space Odyssey, these are very large, very complex. Uh, It would need a lot of space engineering uh, to to make them work. But I think down the track it's going to happen. I think... Uh, it, not in 2001, clearly, but maybe in two, uh, 2101 we might see these structures in orbit around the Earth providing artificial gravity in space.
1: Yeah, and, and that would really change the game completely when it comes to particularly long-haul travel in space, yeah. uh, travelling yeah. to Mars. If you were able to replicate 1G for the, yeah. for the duration of the trip, it would make a huge difference to the uh, ability of humans to to explore because they would not lose that muscle density and they wouldn't uh, be weakened by the the circumstances that face astronauts now
2: exactly exactly so and that leaves the the only major problem for such long haul flights as the um, as the radiation issue yeah. which is you know one that is still still being worked on right aluminium foil That's the stuff. That'll do it. Just wrap yourself in alfoil and away you go. Sadly, um, what you actually need is
1: lead blocks and they're not that good in space. No, no. (laughs) And if you've got a 1G environment, they're not not practical at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. We may not see it for quite some time, but, uh, Daryl, there's the answer to your question. Yes, it's certainly on the agenda, but it may be... um, quite some time before it becomes a um, a real thing would be fair to say but we certainly do love your questions and we do encourage you to send them in and we occasionally look at them so do send them to us via facebook or twitter or any way you like maybe you'd like to um, bring them to us personally Uh, we, we think that'd be great just you know catch a plane fly to australia jump in a car drive way out here to dubbo in central new south wales and shove it under the door of the radio station and then go home. That's fine That's fine with me. Uh, Fred, as always, it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much. It is my
2: pleasure too, Andrew. Um, I'm a bit miffed that you're not telling these people to shove it under my door.
1: Because, you'd be um, a bit closer to the airport than me. That's right. <laughs> Six hours closer, to be honest. Yeah. And he's got a much nicer door than I have. <laughs> I just saw someone actually deliver something to his door and he, didn't, he wouldn't say hello to me. Couriers can be so rude sometimes
2: Yes
1: (laughs) But not all of them Not the ones that listen to us Of course Mm. Thank you Fred We'll catch you next week it sounds great. Thanks Andrew. Take it's care. It's Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thank you again for listening to the podcast known as Space Nuts. Space Nuts.
0: You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. This is Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom, and Stitcher or your favorite podcast distributor.
2: This has been another quality podcast production from tights.com.